and welcome to The Best is Net to Come. My name is Josh, and I'm joined, as always, by Michael Rubenstein. Today, we are going to talk about how we hoped that the Nets would get at least one of the games over the weekend. Maybe against the Celtics, maybe against the Suns. They got them both. They got a close one against the Celtics, and they blew up the Suns in the fourth quarter. It was a great game, that Suns game. Just back and forth scoring in the third. Two of the best teams in the league. Devin Booker going at him. Chris Paul going at him. But Kyrie scored 34. He had 12 assists. KD finally came back after a week with the thigh contusion. He had 30, I believe, 33 in 28 minutes. I mean, that's just insane. 33 points in less minutes than that. Like, come on. And, uh, yeah, now the Nets are 41-20. and 20. I had said before that they just needed 43 wins. At this point, it looks like they could possibly get to 47, maybe 48, and definitely secure a one seed, which would be pretty nice. Mike, from what you saw in the game on Sunday against the Suns, do you think the Nets are going to try to gun for that first seed with the amount of firepower they have right now? Yeah, it's tough to uh, categorize them gunning for the one seed. It seems like they're just going to they're going to try to win every game but with whoever's out there and I don't know if you can count them out depending on who's not there. Right? Like if Kyrie plays alone, they beat the Celtics. When it's two of them, they beat the second best team in the league. Uh we don't expect Harden to come back before the playoffs, I think at this point. So if it's just KD and Kyrie, even if KD has to sit a game, as long as Kyrie doesn't also sit at this point, as Nets fans, I think we have to have faith that they can beat anybody with just Kyrie, as long as they play well. So, I'm going to say they will be going for the one seed just because I think they're good enough to beat any team on any given night, and that's something I didn't expect to say. Uh, I know the Celtics were shorthanded, so maybe I'm overhyping that win a little bit, but the win against the Suns was very encouraging. Uh, I mean, they were down like 12, I think, in the first quarter, second quarter uh, area. And at this point, I don't think any of us panic when that happens. Because at some point, the Nets are going to hit some threes. They're going to come back into it, and it's a long game. So to beat the Nets, you really have to play a full 48 minutes. And that's exciting. Especially when KD is on the court. I've noticed that, like, KD, of all of the guys on the team, and he, like, when his offense is on, he sh- he'll score 10 points in, like, what feels like a minute. Like, he just kind of clicks in. He's either driving to the hoop and getting dunks, or he's hitting these, like, just run-up shots. Like, he just walks into a three, you know, like two seconds on the shot clock. And it's exciting, and that's how fast the game can swing when Kevin Durant's in the game. You know, Kyrie's offense is incredible, too, but he doesn't play at that pace. He plays a little slower. He kind of works, guys. You know, he's doing his dribbles. KD doesn't even really dribble. He either is running or he's shooting, and that's it. There's not much to his game in terms of, like, finesse. It's just just 100% horsepower all the time. But I actually think that the most impressive performance on Sunday, despite Kevin Durant and Kyrie going off, was Blake Griffin. Because the way that Blake Griffin was a nuisance for the, for the Suns was just perfect. He was flopping like a fish out there, and it was great. It was like the kind of flop that like you hate to watch because it's not your team. But it's the kind of flop you love if it's your team because it was working. It was really getting under their team skin. He had got Aiden into foul trouble. He got Chris Paul really riled up. He was, like, pissed. He's, like, talking to the refs all game. Blake hit a couple threes. 
He had like a block. He had a steal. He was just like a really well-rounded game. And I kind of like Blake's like career path now as like this physical irritant on the Nets. Are you satisfied with Blake's contributions? And do you think that they would be sustainable in like a series? Or do you think this is just like because he's like kind of older now and his legs suck, he can only do this in like spurts? No, I think it's sustainable. I think especially in a playoff series where you don't play back-to-backs. I think this is sustainable. Uh, two things with the Blake Griffin stuff. Um, he has a little history with players on the Suns. Obviously. obviously with Chris Paul as a teammate, but also with Devin Booker uh, dating Kendall Jenner. There's some history there. So it was kind of interesting to see Blake kind of give it some extra irritants to them that game. And we were watching the game together. And we even made note when Aiton was getting, like, really hyped on an N1. And I was like, this is a little too hyped. Like, there's he's a little <laughs> bit too pumped right now. And he ended up picking up two fouls on the next possession. Like, Blake Griffin really got him going. And that's yeah. not something you see very often from this Nets team, especially. Like, they're not the most aggressive team uh, most nights. They usually get outworked. And then they beat people because of their shooting. So Blake Griffin definitely adds that. When it's Bruce Brown and Claxton and... All of them are going together. They definitely make this a much tougher team. And it's kind of cool that Blake Griffin's the one leading that charge as old as he is. Yeah, it's great. I love to see it. I love that he's really found his his like position on this team as to just be like the nudge. And and Bruce Brown was kind of that way. Bruce is currently hurt, actually. He's not yeah. going to be playing during this road trip. As we speak, the Nets are playing the Raptors. Bruce Brown is not out there with them. He is back in Brooklyn working on his knee. We really need Bruce to be at his best, so I hope he's fine uh, before, obviously, the playoffs, but definitely within the next week or two. But if Blake Griffin filling in is sort of like an older Bruce Brown right now is a pretty nice thing. Yeah. And I like to see it, and I love to see his effort there. So hopefully the Nets can, uh, especially in close games, ride off the momentum Blake will give them from a questionable flop, right? Or like uh, getting someone to foul out or something like that. Yeah. I do have one more quick thing to add. Uh, The first play that Blake Griffin got in this game against the Raptors, I don't know if you were still working at that point, uh, but I had read what we were going to talk about, so I was looking out for Blake Griffin. And he kind of did this, like, I think he got mismatched. Kyle Lowry had to guard Blake Griffin, like, right below the basket. And he did this really awkward layup. He scored it. And then he kind of landed on Lowry and almost looked like he shoved him. So I'm thinking, oh, here we go again. Blake's going to piss off Mm -hmm. the other team. But he actually, you could hear it on the mic by the basket. He apologized to Kyle Lowry. You could hear him say, like, sorry, Kyle. So it's just kind of funny. He might have certain players he's more willing to to get into it with. And Kyle Lowry is not on that list. Oh, definitely not. I mean, Kyle seems like a good dude, and I don't think Kyle is at that age now where he's, like, starting fights with players. And I think most people in the league have respect for him. He's, like, a kind of, like, one of those, like, weathered vets now. And, and they honestly have very similar games. I mean, obviously different positions, but the way that they're very physical under the hoop and, and they draw a lot of charges. Actually, I think Kyle and Blake are, like, two of the highest drawn charge players in the league. It's almost like a tip of the cap. Uh, for Blake and Kyle to speak to each other. Now, we talk about Blake and how he has bad blood maybe with some of these other guys and other teams. And there was also um, reports this weekend that Mark Cuban had spoke about the relationship between his two all-stars, Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. 
and there's seemingly bad blood between them. They don't seem to get along uh, possibly off the court. Now, of course, this doesn't always matter in sports. Players who do not like each other do not have to like each other to succeed. You know, Kobe and Shaq famously did not like each other, hated each other at one point, won three championships. Other than Kobe and Shaq, and obviously Luca and Kristaps, who I would kind of blame Kristaps in this sense because Kristaps has not really been fitting the bill lately. Like, he's just not as good as people thought he was going to be. He's very underwhelming. Other than Kobe and Shaq, what successful duos in NBA history, like, hated each other, like, famously? Do you, can you think of any? It's not a duo, but I know there were reports uh, about Jordan, Pippen, and Rodman not being like social outside of the court. I think Robin was the one who even said like, I never said a word to those guys, you know, off the court. I know that's not a duo, but that's the first uh, example that comes to mind. I know there were reports about Bradley Beal and John Wall for their years in Washington, but they seem to kind of always want to like dispel that. They're not happy with those reports. They always mm-hmm. seem to try to prove that wrong. So maybe that's, you know, there's more going on there. Um, I can't really think of too many other than that in the NBA. Uh, I know it's different in football because, like, you just don't have the same, I I guess, like, you're not around each other as often in other sports as you are on a basketball court. So there's, like, this great, great segment on the internet uh, done by this group. used to be Secret Base. I mean, used to be SB Nation. It's now called Secret Base. But they do this thing called Beef History where they, like, kind of go and, like, deep dive into, like, famous beefs between two players. And what's really interesting is that a lot of players in these beef histories tend to have played on the same team at one point. But the thing is interesting about a guy like Luca and Kristaps not liking each other is that usually in this case, Luca is the younger player. Now, I know Luca is much better, but Luca's the younger player. So he doesn't have that much leverage like, when it came to Shaq versus Kobe, Shaq really, like, you know, he got himself out of there, and it looked like he made the right choice when he did. It was, like, a kind of a crash-and-burn situation for the Lakers for the next, like, four years. Until they got Mark, uh, Paul Gus- Pau Gasol and stuff. Wasn't looking good there in L.A. He got out at the right time. He ended up going to Miami and getting a chip. But right now, if Kristaps if were to leave the Mavericks, he would have no leverage, whereas Luka has all of the leverage. So it's completely opposite. And I wonder if, like, they're going to tell, like, Kristaps, like, look, man, I don't care what your thoughts are. you got to start kissing this dude's ass. Kiss this 20-year-old's ass, whatever, how old he is, 21. Because he is the future of this franchise for the next, like, 15 years. So you need to figure it out if you want to stay on this team. It could be what like they're thinking, but I don't know if they even care about keeping Kristaps that much, honestly. Um, because what you said before, he has been a little underwhelming. His play style for a guy who's 7'3 is not fitting in with what Luka needs. Luka needs a rim runner. Uh, he needs a guy to throw lobs to, and Kristaps seems to be more content shooting. Uh, or even if Kristaps get a chance, like gets a chance to post up, then that's not involving Doncic. So I don't know if they fit each other well. And I did read that report, and it was mostly they're just different people. Like, they have different interests. Um, yeah. And that's totally fine. Guys can go home at the end of the day and live their own lives. They don't have to hang out. But if it also doesn't work basketball-wise, which I don't think it does, I just don't think they complement each other. I think Porzingis is going to be on his way out, and 
look for a new home where hopefully a team wants a 7-3 guy who can shoot. I'm sure there's somewhere out there for him, but I just don't think it's what Doncic is going to excel with. Now, Mike, you and I are, we've been friends for, I don't know, how long has it been? When do we meet? We met when we were like probably like eight or nine. Yeah, elementary school basketball. We've been friends pretty much our whole lives. And, you know, we enjoy each other's company. We see each other quite often. Can you imagine having a podcast with someone you didn't like, but simply because of the business opportunity it provided? No, I, I don't do anything with anyone I don't like. <laughs> I, I realized that too. Like, it's really tough to, to see myself do, like, anything more than, like, uh, be in the same room as someone I don't <laughs> like. As you get older, it's like you have less and less patience for that sort of thing. So yeah, I guess if I was getting paid millions of dollars, it'd be different. Yeah, and but, we both worked with people we don't like. You can't avoid that. That happens. But yeah. you're not going to go to happy hour on Friday with the coworker you don't like, unless it's like a big group thing and you kind of just like have to. But oh, if, it, if you have a more intimate like friend group and there's only four of you or whatever, three of you, you're not going to invite the coworker you don't like. And that's just how being an adult works. So it, it is weird when like if you're playing basketball, you obviously have to have some level of chemistry when, you know, as a teacher, I don't need to, to like the teacher who works five down, you know, five doors down. But, yeah, I, I'm at the point I don't do anything with anyone I don't like. I definitely wouldn't do a podcast with someone I didn't like. Even if I was, like, the Nets expert and, you know, they wanted me to go on TV with, like, Skip Bayless, I'd be like, no, I don't want to no. work with him. Another interesting thing I read this weekend was that Derrick Rose was told in the pregame interview about his upcoming matchup against the Suns last night. They ended up losing to the Suns, breaking that Knicks nine-game win streak. Boo-hoo. But they asked Derek if he knew that the Suns were the two seed in the West, and he was shocked. He had no idea. And they asked him why he was shocked, and he said, I don't watch basketball, bro. Now, don't you think that's the biggest flex you can have as a professional? Like, if you won an Oscar and you got on stage and you were just like, good job, everyone. I'm assuming your movies were good. I didn't see them. I'm not really into movies, but I got better time. I got better ways to spend my time, so I, I, I bet you did fine. Would you be upset if, like, you found out your favorite player just didn't really care for the sport, Mike? I'd be a little upset. Yeah, I think it's understandable. Um, there are guys in the league who have families to take care of, so at the end of a game they go home and they just spend time with their family. I get that. And then you don't really need to, like, watch basketball until it's time to scout your opponent. So you learn everything then, like he just did against the Suns. So I get it, but, like, I want players who, you know, like D'Lo said, even though we didn't believe him, <laughs> uh, eat, sleep, and shit basketball. Because <laughs> it just, I don't know, I think it just has a better chance of leading to success if your guys are obsessed with basketball. We know Kevin Durant is obsessed with basketball. He talks about it all the time. I think Kyrie loves basketball, even though he has some personal things that pop up. I don't question his commitment to basketball the way Stephen A. Smith did. He just had some other things going on. So it certainly happens. I know LeBron is like a huge NBA fan. He always watches whatever games are on TV. He tweets about it. And I think that's really cool. Um, it also just builds up the brand better. It just looks better. It's more fun for the fans when the players are engaged. But I totally get a guy like Derrick Rose just like going home, seeing his family, playing some 2K. Like maybe he learns from 2K. I playing don't know. 2K? No, he doesn't even play 2K because yeah. he doesn't watch right. basketball. Why would he yeah. play a basketball video game? He doesn't yeah. know what's going on in the league. No, yeah. I think he said – I didn't – put the quote here in the notes but i think he said something like he he like is always watching tv shows like that's his thing is like finding the new best tv show 
Yeah, like, I, mean, I mean, I get it. You know, there are right. other things on television. Yeah. It's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing uh, to myself and to, and to everyone else who, like, spends so many hours watching this fucking sport. For the guy playing it to be like, I don't watch this bullshit. Like, what are you guys <laughs> doing? Wasting your time. Yeah. Like, watching me out there dance around with a basketball. Like, there's other shit to do. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, this is our life. This is my life. I watch too much of this. But, you know, it's it's so true. Like, there are plenty of athletes who definitely don't watch basketball or don't watch the sport they play, don't care about it. Because there are other things, bigger things in life. And, you know, I think if they probably were more connected to the sport, they wouldn't enjoy it as much. It's like it takes a certain type of mindset to be able to play a basketball game and then go home and watch basketball some more. You have to really kind of be obsessed, like maybe unhealthy amount of obsession in that yeah. regard. I would love, though, if they were to, like, do a survey of players and, like, if they ranked their level of passion for games that they're not part of, right? And I would love to see if there's any uh, correlation between, like, levels of obsession and, like, success. Because when you hear about obsessed with basketball, you think Kobe, you think Michael Jordan, now you think LeBron. And, like, these are the guys who are the generational talents. A yeah. guy like Derrick Rose had a chance to be. Obviously, he was injured, and now he hasn't been that. But I'm just curious, like, how many guys out there currently that are just coming up short of winning championships, guys like maybe James Harden or guys like uh, Embiid or Giannis, like, I would love to see if there was some connection. There probably isn't, but I'm, I'm just curious as a fan. So they've said before that, like, centers generally don't like basketball. Because if you think about the way a center is kind of farm-bred to be a, a basketball player, they yeah. find a huge guy and they're like, I don't care what you like to do. You're becoming a basketball player and we're going to find a way to get you on a court. And usually when you're young, you're like, okay, yeah, this is easy enough. All I have to do is catch the ball and put it in this net. No one's taller than me, so I can figure it out. But as they get older and they become professional and they realize that there's more to the game than just like putting the ball in the net and you have to learn like all of the other skills, it stops being fun. You know, like Shaq has talked about how basketball wasn't always fun. Embiid clearly was not enjoying himself for much of most of his career up until this year. It seems he's turned like a, a new corner here. But last year he was totally out of it. He did not care about basketball at all. And... I'm not surprised that centers don't like it because you're not being taught the way – you're not like – the reason why you're joining basketball is not for the same reason that a, a smaller guy would. A smaller guy joins because they are just obsessed with all of the aspects of the game, and they want to be good at all of it, whereas a center is just naturally good because of their size. Mm -hmm. So I can see that. Now, with the injuries to the Sixers and how they've been kind of floating around – they lost four in a row last week – Plus, the Bucks are up and down, and they're probably going to try to start sitting some of their stars. There's a world where the Nets hold on to this first. They hold on to the first seed. The Sixers actually could possibly even drop to three. Now, the Nets do have to play the Bucks twice in the next few days. I think they play them on Sunday and another day. I forget when. And I think the Sixers' schedule is relatively easier. So if they stay healthy, maybe they'll come back. But... I had mentioned before, Nets possibly just get 43 wins. 47, 48, seeming reasonable now. Do you think 48 wins is enough for them to get the one seed? Probably not. 
Um, I don't imagine the Sixers will lose many more of their games. I remember we looked at their schedules, I think, last week or whenever Zach was on. Sixers have a pretty easy schedule, and I think yesterday they actually had all of their players back. I think Simmons, Harrison, and Beat all played. So if, if that's the case, I can see them going on a tear for this one seed. Because uh, really, you don't want to play Milwaukee in the second round. That is really the goal. Regardless of who your first-round matchup is, maybe you end up playing the Hawks or the Celtics or the Wizards, but you don't want to play the Bucks in the second round if you don't have to. So I can see the Sixers going for it. But like I said earlier, I don't know if the Nets lose games that we think they're going to lose. Every time I say I'd be happy if they win one of these two games, they win both. <laughs> Stuff like yeah. that. So it just seems to keep happening. Uh, so it's going to be a fun last week of the season. We'll see. We'll see what happens. As it stands, the Wizards, who are the other hot team in the league right now, other than the Knicks, are crashing the play-in tournament. We had mentioned that they possibly could make it. And there was a couple weeks where I was like, ah, nah, they're going to stay at like 12 or 13. But now they are absolutely going to make this play-in tournament. Like, Russell Westbrook has like fumes coming out of his fucking ears. He's insane. Seeing how high intensity Russell has been just like annihilating the league and giving Nets headaches this year, like all three of their matchups were really intense. How do you see a first round matchup with the Washington Wizards going if the Nets were to catch that first seed and play an eighth seed Washington Wizards? Uh, yeah, I mean, I said it in our group text today. I don't want to see the Wizards in the first round. Um, I like how you wrote as previously predicted because I think I was pushing I was pushing the Wizards up that tournament. So um, yeah, I'm yeah. glad they've, they've started to come around and prove me right on that. Uh, Westbrook, I actually watched the whole video today. It was like one of the first things I saw, like Russell Westbrook appreciation video. And I watched like four minutes of Westbrook highlights. And I loved it. And I felt bad because I've been a supporter and a defender of Westbrook until the bubble, until he just crashed and burned against the Lakers. I think there were reports later he was playing through an injury, so I might have to to hedge those critiques a little bit. But I do love Russell Westbrook for what he brings to a game. I know he's starting to get kind of mad at everyone assuming it's easy for him to get triple doubles. He's like, he's like, no, I work hard for this. Like, it's not easy. I just make it look easy because I yeah. go so hard and play so hard. So I hope the Wizards don't <laughs> play the Nets because I am afraid of high-intensity guys like that. The Nets seem to struggle with that. And Bradley Beal could go for 40 on any given night. I would love to see the Wizards make it, but just play someone else, please. Yeah, I agree. Like, boy, those three matchups against the Nets that they've had this season were, like, nightmares. The first two were nightmares. The second, the third one, the Nets finally were, found a way to, like, stop him. But even in that fourth quarter, if you remember in that fourth quarter, like, Russ just turned it on. And he was just unstoppable. And if Bradley Beal's going to hit his shots too, of course he is. He's one of like the leading scorers in the league right now. I think he is the leading scorer. It's like him and Curry are like neck to neck, neck and neck. I really am worried about Westbrook. And if they can get any sort of production from their centers like Alex Len or Hachimura or whoever the hell they got in the middle. Now they got this guy Daniel Gafford who's like insane and like just a shot blocking wizard and literally. Um, <laughs> shot blocking wizard. Didn't even think before I spoke. But – it's tough. It's tough. I really don't know what's the best matchup right now for the Nets in the first round. Would it be the Heat? No, it'd probably be the Hornets, right? Do you think the, the Hornets, Hornets would yeah. be? I mean, they beat the Hornets last week with just Kyrie. <laughs> so I don't yeah. care if Lamelo is back or not. Um, 
Give, give me the give me the horn instead of the AT, please. All right, so listeners of the show, I wonder if you've heard of this show. It's called The Circle. It's on Netflix. It's a reality show. It's a show where people are put in a building in separate rooms. They cannot see each other. They can only speak to each other using a chat system called The Circle. They can choose whether or not they want to have their own profile or be a catfish, be like a profile of someone random that they've made up. And the whole point of the game is just to make it to the end by making alliances and like kind of – it's kind of like Survivor if instead of surviving on an island, you are trapped in a room <laughs> and you just have to like make friends. Um, we have our good friend John Del Luna here with us who has yeah. watched it. And John, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're in the circle with us. I hope that you are who you say you are. <laughs> now, if you were in the circle, John, how yeah. would you play the game? Would you be yourself or would you be a catfish or would you be a blend of the two? So so that is a great question. Um, I th- This new season, for anyone who's watching, um, the, the catfish are kind of like doing kind of well at the moment. Um, you know, I think, I think Lance Bass was kind of like a weird one, uh, to, to throw in, but it, the thing that I've noticed is the, the girl, and I don't know her real name, I'm blanking on it, playing Trevor, who is her husband, she's doing really well, I think, but the guy who's playing Emily, um, you know, he, he, his road to, to victory is going to be a lot tougher, than, than I think the the other girl playing her husband. So with that in mind, if you're going to catfish, I say catfish based directly on someone you know instead of some kind of archetype or stereotype that you have. Um, me personally, I'm I feel like I'm too nice a guy. I'm boring. I would definitely play as myself. I couldn't. It would be fun to catfish, but I don't think I could take it the distance. Like it would be fun to do, but if I was like seriously competing, was it for a hundred grand? Like I, it's like I feel like if if I were to make like the final two or the final three, like I, I'd have to rely on being myself. Like the catfish, I feel like the catfish are always caught. So that's that's how I would do it. I would I would I would be you know I'd stick to my guns and I'd hope they'd carry me for. So nice guy John tries to just schmooze his way to the top. I got it. I got it. I, I'm not surprised. Michael, how about how about yourself? What would what would your strategy be for that one? Uh, just to clarify, John, I believe the guy who's playing Emily is actually friends with her. Like that's one of his friends. Oh, so okay. I, but right. you're right. Like it's it is very different than what the woman playing Trevor is doing because at least like they have a bigger bond, I guess, than yeah. just some like college guy playing his female friend. Um, so I would certainly want to play a catfish. I think it would be really fun, but it would just be too stressful. Like every little thing you say, you would have to really think about to make sure you sound the way you're supposed to sound. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but curveballs can be thrown at you by the show and you just might like not be able to handle it. And it's not your fault. It's just because you're literally not yourself. So I wouldn't want to like jeopardize anything in that way. So I would probably play myself. I don't think I would be like overly friendly like some of these people are. Like they come in and their first text is like, "Oh my God, can you believe we're here?" Like I'd be like, "Hey everyone, <laughs> like my name's Mike," and I would I would have like hopefully genuine conversations with people. Yeah. Uh, I 
I feel like all these people have one quick heart to heart and they think they're best friends. I don't think I'd be like that. I think I'd be like more about just having a fun conversation. And then at the end of it, just, I don't know, nice talking to you, but I wouldn't go out of it thinking like, <laughs> I got him. This is my guy now, but I, I'd probably try to talk to a lot of people. I don't think I'd alienate anyone. It would be, it'd be fun. Um, yeah. It, it'd be very tough to interpret different situations, but I think I'd play as myself. Yeah, John, do you think if you were to be in the game, playing as yourself, would you yeah. be like a one-on-one secret alliance, like you and me, I got your back kind of guy, or would you be like a just like messaging the whole group, like, hey, I'm everyone's friend, like, hey, I'm down for whatever, like, oh, <laughs> what would your strategy be in that hey. sense? Because I think about that, I watch the game, and I'm like, I just know that if I tried to do these one-on-one alliances, I would pick the wrong person. I'd pick someone who would, like, sell me out and be like, Josh just messaged me. He's trying to make an alliance. He's a total, like, chill. You know, like, don't don't go for him. He Like, he's he's a loser. He's a liar. <laughs> Josh like, is who he says he is. Yeah, he's not who he says he is. Are you kidding? He's too busy watching Pacers games. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Pacers games. No, but for real, like, what would you do in that situation? Would you be more of, like, a everyone's friend or you're trying to make some alliances, like, one-on-one? Yeah, I th- I think I would definitely go in being everyone's friend. Um, I would try, and I think in that process, I would kind of learn who jives well instead of trying. Like I know on the circle, they'll be like, you know, let let me let me message River. Like I I really need to make a connection, and that's like such a bizarre. I know it's a game, but such a bizarre way to make a relationship to look at someone and go, oh yeah, I'm gonna be that person's friend like right now. I'm gonna do what it takes. So, I mean, I, ho- I know the whole show is about, like, there's obviously deceit. There's, uh, you know, um, like, like other strat- strategical ways where people will say, you know, within three texts of each other, like, I got your back. It's like, I don't fucking know you, you know? <laughs> so so I, couldn't, I couldn't purposely do a secret alliance, although I'm sure I would bond with maybe one or two personalities, right? I can't even say people. You know, personalize that with like I I feel like I would bond really well with Lee, not even River, but like if I knew who Lee was, he seems like a cool dude. He's a writer, you know. He's gay. He's like he's just like he's cool. So so I, I would I would be into the personalities, but like I said, I, I wouldn't strategically go for it. Yeah, Mike, yourself. I I don't think I would try to befriend everyone because you have to at some point make a decision about who to eliminate. And that's a, it. Like it gets you exposed. You can't have everyone's back, mm-hmm. or you have no one's back. So, I definitely would strategically pick like two people to not talk to, just so I had someone to nominate if I was trying to, you know, mm-hmm. if I was an influencer. Uh, but I think I would probably try to have more group chats than anything. I think in a group chat, you build that sense of like at least now you could kind of trust what people are saying a little more because there's a witness besides you and the one particular person. So I definitely have a, a few one-on-one convos, but for the most part, I'd probably stick to groups. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So my, I think I would be like maybe a medium, like in the middle guy. Like I, I'd set up these, you know how they do these like girl gang meetups, right? Where it's like just like three or four of them or whatever. Of course I would not do girl gang unless I was playing a girl. Which I don't think I would. I, I think I'm also like you, John. I'm a terrible liar. I'm absolutely a horrific liar. You can catch me in a lie in like 10 seconds. So 
<laughs> if I tried playing a catfish, I would lose immediately. We like we we've played Among Us. I am the worst imposter. <laughs> I'm a terrible imposter. You'll catch me immediately. So for sure, I'd be I'd have to be myself and just have to charm people. And I don't even think I'm that good at that. I'd probably lose in the first round. I'm just like. <laughs> As much as I like really respect the circle and respect the gamesmanship of it all, I, I would be bad at it. I'd be really bad at it. Who, who's the guy that eliminated? The, I mean, it's the first episode, so it's not Bryant. Well, Bryant. The, the, I thought he was a great guy, you know. And he. Yeah. That's the thing. That would be the fear. So if I did go in wanting to be friends with everyone, I could very well be Bryant. So that like that is the big risk, you know. If you can't make it out of those first few rounds. Like you're, you know, you're eventually, cause like, like Mike was saying, like if you're friends with everybody, then you're kind of friends with nobody. So you're kind of expendable. So yeah, that would be a fear of mine. Yeah. I think I would, I would hope to rely on the challenges where you get to kind of show your personality a little bit. Um, if you kind of bide your time and keep the conversations lukewarm, but then you shine in the, uh, in the challenges, I think that's a really good approach also. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's working best. Like, you know, and also the interesting element of the, the circle, the way that you get voted out is that they just kind of – it's a popularity contest. You get picked. Like everyone votes who they think is the best to the worst, and then the votes are kind of collected and, and added up, and whoever are in the top two, at least in the first couple rounds, are influencers who get to stay. Like they have immunity, and then they also get to pick one person who is immune as well. So do you play the game where you want to be an influencer or do you play a game like I think that person's going to be an influencer, I need to be their friend? Like which one which what strategy are you going for there? It's uh it's tough for me to answer this without spoiling too much. Um uh, just think about the first like 3 or 4 episodes. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to be an influencer right away. Obviously it, it is nice to stay safe because you're an influencer, but you also like you have to pull a power move and you have to be the one to send someone home and now everyone's going to question you know why'd you do that and um who are you actually aligned with why wouldn't you send someone else home so it really just brings a lot of attention to yourself in the first like day or two that i would try to definitely go under the radar a little bit longer i wouldn't want to be influencer right away yeah i think it puts a target on your back like way early and that just ups the pressure now for you to perform because all the other non-influencers want to be in your spot. To to bring it back to basketball, it's like if a team goes on like a 10-game road win streak and they're coming to your house, more so than before, you're not it's not just another game. It's like, oh, these guys are on a win streak. Like let's let's play extra hard. Let's spoil this thing. Right. Uh, so so I I think I would play it. I would still want to play it as the popularity contest. I know some of them like to be like, okay, this person's going to get number one, so I'm going to rank them sixth, and then it kind of jumbles things. Uh, and we did a similar thing with the uh, Pokemon um, <laughs> uh, basketball <laughs> rosters, which I know created yep. division within some of our friends. Good. Rick is that. not here tonight. To, uh... <laughs> Rick's got to avenge himself on that. <laughs> Dude, I'm pissed that I came in last. Well, I, I mean, I didn't come in last, but I did. In popularity, I did. <laughs> so pissed. Tentacruel, why? <laughs> We should we should have those maybe on an episode in the future or something or, or on on the Instagram. We have to release the rosters. Oh we'll yeah. Let the fans decide who For is sure. the best team. It's still in the dock, right, Mike? You got it in the dock. Oh, I've got it all saved. Yeah. I mean, I still want to come up with a story for oh, all yeah. of it to go along because I think it would be pretty entertaining. 
We would. We got to make like a tag tour, like a Tekken tournament out of it. Yeah. At what at what point do the Pokemon start crying and bring Kyrie Irving back to life in the mid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that has to be a, a central plot there. <laughs> For sure. Um, is there any other aspect of the circle that you think um, is interesting that you want to talk about? I think the uh, the hashtags. Do you guys think you'd be good at coming up with clever hashtags? No. Okay, so this is the one part of the show that I'm, like, absolutely sure has to be planted. It is, yeah. Like, that guy, Zach, who plays Emily in the in the first, in this season we're watching, season two, he he has the most creative hashtags ever. And I'm like, who thinks of this shit? Is this just how 20-year-olds think? Like, I'm not that old, right? I'm 28. I'm not that old. And this fucking guy, he's like, hashtag this, hashtag that. Like, everything he says ha- ends in a hashtag. I'm like, no way. No fucking way. That's got to be planted. They have to have someone telling him to do that. Yeah, do I don't know if, if exactly what they say is planted. I just think it's probably a rule, like a rule that they have to hashtag something, like, at the end of a message. Because every now and then they'll have a message that doesn't, maybe if they're having, like, a three-message conversation. But I think it definitely is a thing, like, they need to have some hashtags. So maybe they went into it with like a list of things in mind or like, I don't know, but you're right. Some of the ones they come up with are pretty creative. <laughs> are, there, are there any that come to mind that you're just like, how and why? Not off the top of my head. There was during the, um, wasn't there, st- I don't want to spoil it. It's, it's during a future episode. Or I think there's like there's like a competition going on, and there's like a bunch of I, I don't know I might just be making this up at this point, <laughs> but I think that too, and and it's probably just the benefit of pure entertainment that like they're probably taking like way long sometimes to maybe write some of these messages, especially since like that's another thing too they speak to the camera or or to the screen they say circle type this and yeah can't be my Alexa is not that accurate and like I no. doubt technology is that good there's someone literally at a computer oh yeah to type up exactly what it is especially uh, like thinking emoji like uh, like how does how does uh you know an ai read that so quickly so it takes a lot longer for them to come up with these messages and we're just getting it edited down so the magic has probably been spoiled somewhere on the internet you could probably find an article that's like here's what's actually happening behind the scenes on the circle but <laughs> it's just crazy, like, some of the hashtags and some of the, yeah, like, that element of, like, speaking everything and it comes out exactly the way that you've been saying it. Like, very Black Mirror-esque, this show. And I think that's what makes it so interesting and so different compared to most reality shows these days is, like, how technological it is and how cold it is in a way. Even though it's a show about interacting with people, like, you don't know anyone you're talking to. You don't right. know anyone. It's I will a, say very interesting. The um the last thing here, I would be really bad at this part of the show. We were talking about this before Josh, before John came on. Uh, I wouldn't be good at answering like producers' questions if they asked me like, "Well, why did you say this?" I'd be like, "I don't know." <laughs> like just like what I thought, and they'd be I like, just, "Well, what I are just you fucking hoping?" Farted out of my mouth. I don't yeah, know. I just like, fucking said it. What are you hoping to accomplish when you invite so and so to a group text? Like. I'm hoping to have a laugh. <laughs> I don't know. What I'm do you want me you to say? <laughs> Tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like always. I'd be like in the bathroom with the one camera. Like, please tell me what to do. Yeah, I think do do they 
do you think they live with like a camera guy or is it just like a camera planted on a wall? No, there's like seven cameras in that room. For sure. I would I would love to interact with crew. Like that's my one thing if I was a celebrity. I would love to interact with crews. Like they go around with cameras and microphones. I'd want to just like ask them about I, their family. I'd have to be like a celebrity who lives in LA and is just always like schmoozing with the paparazzi. Yeah, exactly. It'd be so he pulls fun. up in his big car and then people come around like, oh, it's Mike. I like give like, them slowly gets cards. out of the car like, oh, hey, everyone. <laughs> yeah. If, if you watch all these like MTV and TLC shows, sometimes like the producer will come on and it's like just like this like floppy guy in a sweat sweatshirt. His name is like Duncan, and it's like Duncan, executive producer, who's probably worth like fifty million dollars. And she's like, um, <clears throat> uh, we're having a little problem. Can you tell me what's going on? And like this guy is like probably st- some of these people are like uh, down the barrel of a mental breakdown. And like, and this poor, you know, this poor guy has to be like, shit. How do I make this money? And but how do I keep keep my person happy at the same time? It must right. be fun to be a crew member though. Like like it's that's gotta be. <laughs> Oh, well, I got to finish this uh, batch of The Circle before uh, tomorrow, I guess, um, so that I don't get the second batch spoiled for me, because I think it is coming out tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. All right. Thank you so much to John for coming on to talk about The Circle. Thanks to Mike, as always. Thanks to you guys for listening to The Best Is Net To Come. We'll be back on Friday morning talking about uh, where the Nets are, where the league's at, what happened in the second half of The Circle, maybe. We don't know. What's gonna, we're going to see what happens. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day.